This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics. I am so passionate about politics, hence the name Cuckoo for Politics, and I hope you are too. Thanks for joining. This is a podcast discussion on political perspectives on various issues that matter with citizens of the world. So I do ask that you grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or a spirit or two, and let's get ready for some lively conversation, and let's learn something together. American exceptionalism is a phrase tossed around in various political circles to underline the United States' inherent unique status as a nation that is set apart from all others. In fact, what makes America great is its values and respect of the individual's freedom and democratic principles. But really, are we? What do we make of its current political status? Are we truly a nation under God where all men are created equal? Are we a nation that has become so polarized that we embrace alternate facts versus actual facts themselves? Why is it so hard for this country to come to terms with its original sin in dealing with race? What actually does the United States stand for today? Now, these are some questions, along with other topics, that will be explored in a five-part episode series titled Raw and Uncut, with my guests, who I'll introduce later. But let me take you back. Last year, January 20th of 2021, President Biden and Vice President Harris took the oath of office and ushered in a new era of a peaceful transition of power, and that is despite the efforts of the former and defeated president, with his allies to undermine the country's democracy. In the eyes of the world, along with the majority of the American electorate, the Biden-Harris election was bringing forth a sense of relief. Unlike the previous administration, they would bring experience, calm, and competency back to the White House. There are high hopes and expectations that this president and team would be able to return America and its global partners back to normalcy. In part, that did come to fruition, as there were no more daily chaotic White House press briefings spewing intentional misinformation, nor was there the constant posting of controversial Twitter statements. And in my opinion, which is most important, no longer would the public be subject to a world leader whose constant need of attention, by any means necessary, occupy the daily news cycle on an hourly basis? In retrospect, Biden and Harris are pretty much boring. Many of the administration's campaign goals are currently in the process of being implemented, and there are some that are still being formulated to be carried out. However, like all actions involving government, Due to the many hands that are involved in a sausage-making process of laws and in policies, the results will be slow. There are times when forces outside can curb or defeat any given administration's lofty campaign promises. There is no question geopolitical events, COVID, and especially congressional gridlock are the three major forces curbing Biden and team from reaching some of their administrative goals. In this premiere episode of Cuckoo for Politics Season 2, I begin the conversation with fellow alum Sam Jean as we engage in a candid conversation on the first year of the Biden-Harris administration. 
Before we get into the episode, let me refresh your audience with our backgrounds. Sam and I attended and graduated from Eastern Nazarene College in Quincy, Massachusetts. It's a Christian liberal arts college near the city of Boston. It was there where we formulated a friendship as we had similar classes since we are both history majors. Sam not only graduated from Eastern Nazarene with distinctive honors, magna cum laude, but he pursued a Juris Doctorate from Boston University. I myself pursued a master's degree in political science and inducted into the Pi Sigma Alpha Honor Society from St. John's University, located in Queens, New York. Now, Sam resides in Los Angeles and is a practicing attorney who was a partner at Neil Schwartz Associates, where he worked for various entertainment companies before establishing his own consulting company. There, he advises clients in the areas of strategic and crisis communications, along with media relations. He has made several media appearances in the U.S. and Canada on the subject of U.S. policy, and he also teaches part-time on a grad level on strategic communications. Now, we have been passionate about politics since the first days in college. Hence, while we get together from time to time to discuss various political topics of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Kuku for Politics, and let's get ready to learn something together. What's up, good people? Michael here, host of the political podcast, Kuku for Politics. As we start another year, new season, we're going to explore various topics, talking to people that matter, talk about issues that matter on a whole host of topics. As always, I'd like to begin this new season with Raw and Uncut with my guest, Sam Jean. Welcome back, Sam Jean. Happy New Year. Happy everything. Welcome back to another episode of Raw and Uncut. Happy New Year, Michael. What's going on? Listen, let's just jump right into it as Raw and Uncut goes for. It's uh, one year as Biden and Harris has taken office. Uh, a lot of changes, a lot of expectations that came up with a new presidency, a new administration, um, new people in key positions. And yet the president, although he has favorable ratings, uh, approval ratings, he's been given credit to as far as executing some key things, particularly during the pandemic. However, as all presidents in their first term, they succumb to reality. So we're looking at a time when people are second-guessing their judgment as far as, or second-guessing their election in regards that they have Biden and Harris in there, but they don't seem to, it doesn't seem like things have turned around as much as they anticipated. I think we all grow up with the notion that whoever's in the White House has superhuman capabilities to quickly eradicate all our ills and wills, but today it doesn't seem like that. What do you think? What's your uh, assessment of the Biden-Harris in their first term? I think that you make a lot of good points, and, and I'm glad you were honest about how people feel uh, uh, about the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, let me start off by saying that they, they've gotten things done, uh, but the problem seems to be covid there were a lot of people who believed that if you got a Democrat in the White House, that somehow COVID would go away. As a matter of fact, a lot of 
who voted for Biden, the overwhelmingly majority of them who voted for Biden, that was their number one concern. Their number two concern is how, how is this person going to handle the pandemic? And they had an idea that that Biden would handle it by getting things to go back to quote unquote normal. And that hasn't happened. And that is, is sort of the basis for everything that happens because you have the COVID relief deal that came through, that was, that passed. You had the trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill, that passed. You have 72% of American adults are vaccinated. That's a good thing. Uh, for someone like me, he's gotten a lot of competent federal judges appointed. So that's that's a positive. The economy, uh, unemployment is down to 4.2% or whatever, the lowest it's ever been. Uh, but somehow those things don't translate because you have things like Build Back Better, which didn't make it. You have a fight about voting rights legislation. And as we speak, it looks like it's not going to make it. You have COVID, which continues to be a problem for the administration because it seems to someone like me that they're also succumbing to political pressure. And part of the sense is that the majority of the country doesn't want there to be another quote unquote lockdown. And that seems to be what's informing the CDC and the decisions that they're making. So all these things are coalescing and they just, it, it, it's not helpful in terms of his, uh, you, you talked about his approval rating. His approval rating is is is, is low. It, it, it keeps going down because there seems to be this sense of fatigue. And I agree with you. Part of it is unrealistic. Uh, Joe's boring. He's slow. It takes a while for things to happen. Uh, but when people voted, that's what they were voting for. He he isn't any different than what I thought he would be. Uh, but for a lot of the um, the voters, they want more action. I know. Some things he cannot deal with, not say deal with, some things that he cannot really control. There are so many external factors as over and over again, we heard of the supply chain um, that's been disrupted during the pandemic. We see gas prices going through the roof, energy bills going through the roof. The average American goes to the supermarket and they see that loaf of bread costing $4. And they're like, this is ridiculous. And it's not isolated to the U.S. It's a global, no matter where you are in, in my travels. I noticed the same issues that's happening here at home is also happening elsewhere. And I think as much as he can capably, humanly can do, there's some things that are just going to have to take, it's going to take, it's going to take some time. We're going to have to ride this out for a while. Um, so I don't think no matter what he does, it's not going to change anything in the immediate real time. I think all the policies that he puts in place, um, it's going to take some time to filter through, through all of us. I think that's right. I also think that he has a problem on his hands because there are people who seem to be bent on tanking his legislation. So he has he has to contend with a pandemic. And I have to be honest with you, I think I think their messaging 
on the pandemic, it's very disappointing to me uh, because I feel like they have succumbed to the pressure of the notion that there can be no large scale um, close downs uh, and people are just sick of COVID. And, and so you have them responding to that. And that's disappointing to me. Um, obviously, the Build Back Better is, is disappointing to me, uh, but it's disappointing to me. But I have to understand that that's not, that's not Joe Biden's issue. That's uh, mansion cinema. No Republicans want to jump on board for that. That that's more of the problem. But but there are a lot of other things that that me I, I I'm disappointed about. But I'm a practical person. I get it. The president of the United States doesn't control everything, and I'm not surprised that we are where we are. But you make it a you make a point that what's happening is not something that is is just domestic, global. But a person in Iowa doesn't care about what's going on in France in terms of the economy, right? They're, they're concerned about what's going on in Iowa or New York or New Jersey or California or Texas. And, and that creates a problem for Biden. And, and it's a problem that they have to figure out because he only has another year to get anything done. And after that, nothing's going to happen. You make a point, and I definitely want to touch on Congress and voting rights. There's something, too, I believe, that is at fault with the current administration. And this is what I say. It's about the brand or the mixed messaging. You know from the beginning of the offset during the pandemic, um, from the previous administration, and granted, the science was constantly evolving. So the data that was given to the administration and then when they conveyed it to the American public at large, they would say one thing and a few days, few months, a year or two, they say something differently. Um, you, you're hearing that about the mask. It's okay to have a cloth mask. Now they're saying you have to have a K95, the special mask. Um, do you think there's a problem with the messaging from Biden himself or his key officials that's also hampering the feeling that the administration is doing something because you say build back better, but I don't even know if people understand the particulars what's in that bill that will make things better. So I'm wondering my question to you, you think it's a communication problem, messaging problem? Well, that's one of the things that the media likes to talk about is, is there a messaging problem? I, I have this idea that if, if I have a message, if I'm a political person, I have a message, uh, the medium that is supposed to get my message across is, is the media. And so if people are ignorant or build back better or things that are going on in the administration with respect to crafting legislation and what are their priorities, if people don't know that, is that because the administration isn't telling people that? I, I, that's not accurate. You know, they, they have a very competent comms team. They, they know how to, if you watch the press briefings, they have answers. So that's not, that's not it. I think that what I said earlier, there is a political calculation that I feel that's been made by Republicans and Democrats and that political calculation is no matter what happens, there will not be another shutdown, period. 
There is no political will for it. There's no social will for it. And they've been promising people, and I think it's an unfortunate promise that they've all been making, Republicans and Democrats, that we need to hurry back and we will get things back to normal. And with that, if you want to get things back to normal, in my opinion, that's not following the science. If you were following the science, you would understand that for the foreseeable future, normal has to change. Our definition of what normal is has to change. And the way to learn to live with COVID is, is, is vaccination, mitigation, all those other things. But really, it's COVID. And they don't, and I think that message is, is deliberate. I, I also think too, Michael, to be honest with you, that they are also in one way transparent. Um, if, if a person gets information, if the CDC director wants to say something, she gets to say it. She doesn't have to run it by the administration like the previous CDC director had to do and the previous uh, health care task force had to do with Trump. So there's a lot of freedom there. But uh, but these people are, are, are doctors. And and it's interesting to me. I, I, I wish they were better at explaining themselves. You, you make a good point uh, that in a previous administration, those key officials had to run th- things through the White House and it was uh, chaos and it caused more confusion. I was watching a hearing where Dr. Fauci was in front of uh, the Senate and he's talking to them and then he had a hot mic and then they're going back and forth on questioning and he's explaining things to them and then the hot mic says, uh, I think he was talking to Dr. Ron Paul, who's an eye doctor who keeps questioning him on the science. And then I think um, Dr. Fauci says, what a moron, <laughs> because some of the questions they're asking is like, you're doing this because you're not, you're at this hearing and I'm here to explain the process and what's going forward, how we could you know, move forward as far as a country dealing with the pandemic. But you're asking me questions that are addressing um, for campaign purposes only and not necessarily to hear the answers to the questions. Hey, Sam, you and I could keep talking about this topic and there's so much to cover. How about this? Let's pick up again on our next episode of Raw and Uncut State of Our Union and we'll pick up from where we just left off. Before I share my closing thoughts, let me say thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this discussion. I ask that you subscribe to this podcast, which can be found on Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, or wherever you just listened to this episode. Feel free to comment as I welcome all feedback. You can also sign up for future episodes and leave feedback on my website, cuckooforpolitics.com. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram under the brand name, of course, Cuckoo for Politics. Now, Whenever there's a transition from one president to the next, the incoming president not only inherits the task made by the former, but also inherits the history of past administration's successes and its failures while occupying the White House. There is no denying that Biden was handed a bad deck of cards after Trump left office. Our global partners were skeptical if the word of the U.S. means anything as a result of the former pulling out of various international agreements. 
just to name a few, the Paris Treaty Accord that dealt with climate control, the World Health Organization that deals with pandemics, the Iran nuclear deal, and other multilateral agreements. No one could have predicted that this pandemic would still wreak havoc on the economy and on people's lives today. Although there are vaccines and remedies on the horizon, COVID still remains the number one hindrance to America's progress. Now, the level of expectation that people have placed on the individual who occupies the White House may be somewhat unrealistic. We do live in an instant gratification society. The way we pay for transactions, call for an Uber or Lyft, stream our music, movie, and other news from various platforms on our smart devices, all can be obtained in an instant. Inflation is an all-time high, but public has little patience and expects Biden to turn things quickly now. But we do have short-term memory. Don't forget, the Affordable Health Care, a.k.a. Obamacare, was a concept first conceived in 1945, but did not come to fruition until 2010. So by contrast, the public can't expect Biden and team to turn things around, but we do. To be fair, he has gotten some things accomplished in his first year. 1.9 trillion COVID relief fund, a 1 trillion infrastructure bill, which will address roads, bridges, tunnels, water pipes, airports, railways, you name it. He is currently presiding over a roaring economy with low unemployment. Note, 70% of Americans are fully vaccinated, although those numbers are still low in comparison to other nations. He is getting federal judges confirmed in various federal courts, and soon a Supreme Court judge who will perhaps will be the first African-American woman on the bench. But it does not help that some of his decisions, based on information given to him, has not played very well in the public. The fall of Afghanistan, and we all remember those images, was a complete embarrassment. The congressional gridlock, in particular in a razor-thin Democratic-controlled Senate, in not passing voting protection rights, which I will expand on the subject later in another episode, or the provisions in the Build Back Better package that will address nation's priorities, lowering prescription drug prices, climate change, just to name a few, has yet to come to fruition. There is a sense of frustration among voters, in particular his supporters, that despite his experience in Washington, his minimal influence within Congress is encroaching on nearly impossibilities to get anything done. But all is not lost. This is only year one. Remember, Trump was riding high despite his scandals in his first three years, but eventually succumbed to reality as his handling of the pandemic and intense race relations exposed his incompetency in leadership. In year two, Biden and team must alter their tactics in order to make some headway and reassure Americans and its allies that he is the right person for the job. How he handles Domestic and international crises, especially with Russia and China, can help turn the public's confidence in his leadership. If not, he could possibly be a one-term president. Luckily for him, he still has time on his side. Join me in the next episode where my guest and I will discuss the source of gridlock in Congress. And I'm not just talking about the Republicans. We'll also address the criticism reflected on the vice president. 
This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics. Thank you for listening. And until the next episode, stay blessed.